You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good afternoon. God's grace and peace to you all who are joining us online. We welcome you to this service of Lenten's preaching uh, at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. These are different times right now, but uh, during this current coronavirus, but our Lord has offered us encouragement always during stressful times, and particularly during this time of coronavirus uh, pandemic. And while we must observe caution, he commands us to be strong and courageous, and not to be afraid or terrified, because he is with us. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. So we, we thank you, thank God for that, and we thank you for your being here. So we'll pray now, say a prayer. Almost mighty and merciful God, in this time of grievous sickness, we flee unto thee from succor. Deliver us, we beseech thee, from our peril. Give strength and skill to all those who minister to the sick. Prosper the needs, the means made use of for their cure. And grant that, perceiving how frail and uncertain our life is, we may apply our hearts unto that heavenly wisdom which leadeth to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our speaker for next week is going to be uh, Dr. Mark Genelette, but our speaker for today is the Reverend Jay Gardner. Jay is director of Christ Church in Coleman, Alabama, where he lives with his wife, Paige, and his young son, William. Jay and Paige became members of the Advent while he served in the youth ministry from uh, 2012 to 2015. After finishing studies at Beeson Divinity School and General Theological Seminary, he ministered in New York City as assistant resident rector of the parish of Calvary St. George. Jay will speak to us um, now. Jay, we're, we're so glad you're here and welcome you back home. We're so always glad to have you home. Jay. And Catherine, the last time we were in the space together, uh, save maybe a diocesan event, you uh, proclaimed the gospel at my ordination, and thank you for that. Uh, well, selfishly, uh, I'm glad to be back and sad not to see your faces, but thankful that you've allowed me to come. Thanks especially to Gil Cracky. Uh, for setting this up and inviting me uh, and to the dean and so many others. I don't want to name any others because there's hundreds of you and I don't want to miss any of you. But it's good to be back. Um, But before I read scripture and before I preach, uh, I want to say another prayer. So let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would make your son Jesus Christ present to us by your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this afternoon, I'm just reading what uh, is the appointed reading uh, today from the Daily Office for the Epistle. So this comes from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, um, beginning in the 12th chapter and the 27th verse. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? 
do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Well, friends, um, we've heard this passage before, and this this comes right in the middle of a larger discussion uh, from Paul uh, to the Corinthians concerning the nature of the church, concerning uh, God's love, ultimately is where he lands the plane, so to speak. And we've all heard that analogy, and perhaps it's more than an analogy. Uh, that's, That's kind of a soft word for, I think, what Paul is doing, the body of Christ, the church being the body of Christ. Now, you can think of that as an analogy or an assemble, uh, a symbol, but I think perhaps uh, it's more mysterious and profound even than that. And that makes me uncomfortable. Let me just say that. To, to call ourselves the body of Christ, uh, on the one hand, uh, gives us much dignity, but on the other hand, uh, it's a daunting task to be called the body of Christ. Paul, in another portion of his corpus, uh, says that he carries the wounds of Christ in his own body. I mean, that gives me the heebie-jeebies just a little bit. But the point is, it is a high calling to be called the body of Christ. And, you know, in churches, I'm I'm a rector at a church, and we often talk about, you know, uh, the different pieces we have in the church. You know, who is the hand and who is the foot? Who is the eye and the ear? We don't get that specific, but we like to think of our piece uh, in God's labor. And yet, Paul does not focus so much on the pieces or the parts Uh, He talks about a few different offices in the church, apostles and teachers and prophets and so on. And in other places, and here he talks about gifts. But ultimately, beyond the offices and the personalities and um, the members, if you will, and beyond simply the gifts, he emphasizes uh, love as being the constitutive element of uh, Christ's body. Love. And so perhaps today we can think of uh, love as being Uh, the very blood, the very heartbeat of God pumping in our veins is the body. I'll say more about that here in a moment. But that word love, it's kind of lost its meaning, hasn't it? And this is kind of old hat and trite for some of us, uh, but we use the word love in so many different contexts. Uh, There's a great commercial right now that's running. I think it's New York Life, uh, where they talk about the four different words of love in the Greek language, Uh, which, by the way, there's a good little book on that, The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, Probably one of his more substantial and mature works. But yeah, there's four different words for love in the Greek language, but you and I are kind of stuck with that four-letter word, L-O-V-E. With the same breath, I can turn to my spouse and uh, you know, pledge my undying affection, and then I can turn around and say, use the same word uh, to describe my love for Milo's hamburgers, which I do love Milo's hamburgers. I'm not a connoisseur of fast food. Uh, Lord, don't take your word from us, but please also don't take Milo's hamburgers. They're very important. But you see what I mean, how small that word love is when you can turn it into something like I love Milo's hamburgers in the face of saying I love you, my husband or my wife, uh, whoever it is for you, your grandmother, uh, your son, your neighbor, whatever. So love has lost its power in, in some places. And yet contextually, we know love is still a powerful concept and a powerful word. Think about the time uh, maybe when you were young and you were dating. 
We flee from that word. It gets too serious too quickly. If you're just innocently going on dates, the moment someone drops the L-bomb, that four-letter word, it gets serious. And if someone doesn't reciprocate by saying, I love you too, oh boy, uh, things are looking bad. But even now, you know, I'm in my 30s, and as we increase in age, it's hard to come across quality friendships in the way we were when we were younger. Or I should say quantity of friendships uh, that kind of diminishes as you get older. And I find myself talking to friends who I've known and loved over the years uh, by phone, especially in this season, uh, but just by nature of being far apart. One's in New Orleans, one's in Atlanta, several are in New York, some are here in Birmingham. And sometimes I'm so moved by my friendships, I can't help even to a friend and say the words, I love you. And that's sometimes a bit much, but I don't know what else to say sometimes. Okay, enough about love as a word. My point is, the word still has power in certain contexts. And particularly here in Paul's epistle, we know that it has power. We know that it's more than simply uh, Milo's hamburgers or whatever the small things in your life that you like. Not necessarily love, but like. But the truth is, Paul is talking here um, in the context of really an argument that's going on in Corinth. People are fighting, there's a little bit of strife, there's some argumentation about who is the most important. At the very beginning, he's arguing his case that he is an apostle, and he has to do that again in 2 Corinthians when he writes back to them, arguing uh, that he actually has something to say, and he's actually been sent by God to say it. And right here in our chapter, you know, there's apostles and prophets and teachers. There's those who work miracles and those who have gifts of healing, helping, etc., etc., etc. And the reason he's saying all this is because they're fighting about it. They're fighting about it. And that is something we're not immune from either. Actually, flip back to the Gospels, uh, the four Gospels, and you see cases in which the disciples are doing that right in front of Jesus. Asking him, well, Jesus, you know, when we go into your kingdom, uh, who will sit at your right and who will sit at your left? And Jesus, in not such a docile manner, has to rebuke them and say, look, that's not for me to say. And that really is not the discussion you should be having anyways. See, we as uh, frail humans and sinners, and even Christians, uh, we like to fight over and dispute and decide who is the most important member in the body of Christ. And when we do that, uh, we've left behind the fundamentals, the basics of our faith, which is God and his nature and God, his work for us, his love for us, which, again, will be the theme, uh, really, of my culminating point in the sermon, but the whole sermon at large. We've moved on beyond the things that we should be thinking about and should be uh, uh, hearing and saying to one another, and we've moved into another realm. And we do that often. You know, I did that... I still do that. I, I get into pet issues, um, you know, away from the main things and start thinking about things that are on the, um, uh, well, things that are subsidiary. I know in seminary, that was a big problem. We would argue and fight and tussle over silly little things. And seminarians are by far the worst, and maybe clergy people are too, about uh, fighting about these types of things. And it's not that they're not important. Don't hear me saying that. Things like theology, uh, our doctrines, our practices even, are very, very important but not to the point uh, where we're dividing up the body of Christ, as Paul is dealing with here. Not to the point where we've lost love of one another and forgotten the love of God. You see, Christianity never has a graduation. We're always returning back to those basics. 
I know as a, a college student and again as a seminarian, I was always trying to reach higher, reach higher, you know, as if there were a greater truth beyond that simple message that Christ gave himself up for sinners. But there's no graduation beyond that. That is the whole thing. That is the whole enchilada. And we find ourselves fighting about things beyond that. Um, we've missed the whole point of Christianity. And that's why Paul has to go on and say, you know, uh, are, are tongues really that important? Are gifts of healing really all that important? Are these higher gifts really all that important? See, if you have all of these things and yet you lack love, Paul says that you have nothing. You have nothing. Doesn't matter how many people you heal. Doesn't matter how many people are uh, filling up your pews, as so many ministers like to talk about. Doesn't matter how much your influence is all over the internet, which, by the way, I'm thankful for the Advent's influence on the internet, and especially now in this time. Um, but it's not something for us to argue about. And if that's all we're clinging to is our influence and our ability to exercise our gifts, well, as Paul says, we have nothing. And we're nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The basics, friends, the basics of Christianity are what we're called to return to over and over and over and over again. And they're ever the subject and content of our faith. Now to this substance of the matter, of God's love. I've been talking uh, almost from a human perspective about our love, our love for our spouse or our, our children or our other loved ones. But we don't get to determine what love is. God is the one who defines that. And he defines that here in his word, uh, but chiefly in his word, Jesus Christ. So when he talks about love, uh, he's talking about it as being foundational, uh, as defined by God, not as you and I would conjure up. I'm going to flip over and borrow a little bit of language from um, John, from 1 John, where he talks about love and God's love in particular, and even more particularly than that, God being love. This is 1 John chapter 4, uh, around verse 8 and 9. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now he goes on to say a lot more about that, and we perhaps will revisit that in just a moment. But see right there, of all of God's attributes, I, there are many we can think of, love is one uh, that God assigns himself to. God is love. And you can't flip the equation around and say love is God. That doesn't work exactly the same way. Uh, but God is love. And he's defined that love not in the abstract, uh, not removed from what he's shown forth in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why when you talk about God's love, you can't say it removed from uh, the life and death and resurrection and ascension and continual interceding by Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's how we define it. That's where we hang our hat on what the word means. So as much as I love the New York Life commercial and as much as I love uh, the four different meanings uh, or usages in Greek language of love, this version of love, this definition, agape, uh, as attached to Jesus Christ is what love is. 
in another part of John's writings, in his gospel, that is, this is one brief other sentence, and this will be the last scripture that I flip to, uh, if I can find it. This comes from John chapter 15, verse 13. And you know this one probably. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, of course, all of this uh, was in the face of Jesus going to do that very thing, laying down his life for his friends uh, and his enemies, quite frankly, but his friends in particular here. And we know that, right? We know that the greatest sacrifice we can give to a loved one is to give up our life. And there's always the lingering fear that we may have to do that for the ones we love, uh, especially mothers, you know, in giving birth and just being in the way of their children, uh, parents, but mothers in particular. So we know that no greater love hath anyone than to give up their life. But Jesus has done that very thing for us. And this, again, is returning back to the basics. This is where our discourse as Christians uh, continually resides in Christ and his sacrifice for us. And I know you at the Advent are no stranger to that kind of language. Christ would be crucified for us. Paul begins his whole chapter, excuse me, his whole letter here, talking about knowing Christ, nothing but Christ, and him crucified. And I often get into, I wouldn't say arguments or debates, but people challenge me on this point. They say, well, you know, the cross is important, but the resurrection is way more important, way more important. That's what people say to me. And I understand what they're saying. I get the point that in the end, if there is no resurrection, the cross doesn't mean much, does it? But you can flip that around and say the same thing. If there is no resurrection, excuse me, if there is no crucifixion, then the resurrection doesn't mean anything. And if you and I were to write the story, if you and I were sort of the protagonist, resurrection would be obvious. That's the point that is not hard to come up with. Read other literature. Read about other uh, so-called gods and divinities from you know, ancient times. Uh, it's not uncommon that gods would rise. Of course, we don't believe in those gods, but that's the part of the story that's obvious. The part that's not obvious is that God would uh, choose actively to go forward and suffer. And not simply just on the cross. Yes, that's the high point and the culmination of the whole thing, but it's the whole logic of how God chose to deal with us. How he condescended from the very beginning to associate with his creation. Taking on human flesh, born of a virgin, in less than desirable conditions indeed. Living a life that was surely not full of riches. In fact, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Descending lower and lower, not just the flesh, uh, but flesh lived in a very bleak manner. Descending lower and lower and lower to the point of death on a cross and ridicule uh, and shame. And the descent does not stop there, does it? Lower and lower he goes to the grave, to the place of the dead. Lower and lower. And that is how love is defined. And again, it's not the part you and I would have written if we were in charge of this thing. It's not the way we'd have dreamt it up. It's not the part that is obvious, the part that God would choose to suffer and choose to die and choose to assign himself to pain and anguish and yet that's the way he has shown forth his love and yes resurrection did come and for us it is promised to come as well but even on the other side of resurrection Jesus approaches his friends his disciples with the very uh, evidence 
the scars of his suffering. Time and time again, emphasizing the point that the cross is, in fact, uh, the meat of Christianity. So maybe you're hearing all this, and you're thinking, okay, well, I know what God's love looks like. I've heard about that before. But I don't feel any love right now, Jay. You know, it's this coronavirus season. I'm locked up in my house. I'm dealing with people more than I want to in closed quarters. Uh, That is your family and maybe friends or neighbors that you're, you know, safe to be around. And I've had that experience. You know, I'm at home a lot more than uh, I'm used to. And I love it on the one hand, but then at times I get a little crazy too. A toddler uh, in our home who we love uh, sometimes tests our patience. And so maybe you're in this season and you're not feeling love. You're not feeling uh, as if you're overflowing with the power to actually uh, care for one another and care for others. And the point is not for you to conjure up and fabricate a sense of love. You know, to dig in your heels and say, okay, I'm just going to will to love today. It doesn't work that way. Uh, I lied to you. I'm going to go back to 1 John once more. Uh, He says that we love because God first loved us. We don't love because we decide to love. We don't love because it happens uh, to be our choice in the moment. We love because God first loved us. And it comes upon us. I'm a big fan of of rock music and always have been, but for some reason I miss the Beach Boys. It wasn't my era, uh, and it wasn't my mom and dad's era. You know, they listened to a lot of 80s, 70s and 80s music when I was growing up, but the 60s kind of, we missed that part. I've lately got introduced to uh, Pet Sounds, which is a wonderful album. That's an understatement of all understatements, that it's a wonderful album. But that one tune, um, Waiting for the Day That uh, You Can Love Again, I can't remember the title of the song, I should have written it down, Um, but that line, that lyric, I'm just waiting for the day that you could love again. And it's this guy who's interested in this gal, and, you know, he's all head over heels for her, but she's not quite ready. And he keeps repeating that refrain, refrain, I'm just waiting for the day that you can love again. Well, maybe we're in that season right now where we're just waiting for the day we can love again. We're waiting for when we can just, you know, snap our fingers and make it happen. Well, friends, you don't have to wait anymore. Love has come upon you. Love is coming upon you. As it points back, as this word and this message, and I hope it points you that way, uh, that Christ has poured out his life for you. And that love initiates the whole process. And you realize that even in your unworthiness and in your unloveliness, uh, God considers you worthy and lovable. Not by right, but by faith. I've got a little... um, statue, I guess, in my office, a little bookend that one of my predecessors left at Grace Church, and I'm thankful he did. I don't know whose it was, but it it sits on my bookshelf. And it's a little wooden cross uh, accompanied by a little nail, the kind of nails that you might expect uh, Roman officials to have put in Jesus' hand. And accompanied with all of that is a little note, and it says, are you feeling unloved today? Just take this nail and gently press it against the palm of your hand. And know that that is how much God loves you. Now that's simple and simplistic, uh, but just that experience every once in a while when I'm really having a dark day, uh, it does in fact remind me. And I'm restored uh, to the knowledge that God does love me. And so in this season where we're isolated and feeling forgotten, uh, maybe that would be an exercise for you, that you could uh, reminisce and restore your memory of how much God loves you. 
by how much he's given for you, his very own life, and descended lower and lower and lower. And even in your depths of loneliness right now, in your depths of perhaps sickness and perhaps uh, pain, watching other loved ones too all around the globe, even in those depths, Christ is descending for you, even now. And more fully than you can even hope or imagine, he's right there with you, bearing your burdens. He'll neither leave you nor forsake you. He has promised that. And he hasn't. And he knows your sorrows more than anyone else. So he's in the ditch with you right now. He's in your lonely apartment or house. And he loves you. As small as that sounds, that little four-letter word doesn't mean much unless we uh, fill it with the, the content of the cross and the resurrection and the hope of everlasting life with him, which starts even now. But he loves you to the depths of your pain and in the depths of your pain, knowing it all too well. And so wait no longer. You're not waiting for the day. Love has come upon you. And maybe, just maybe, as it fills your heart, it'll overflow to others. Maybe just simply through a message or a phone call right now. But even beyond that, before we get to what we're doing, because it's not about what we're doing, it's about what Christ has done, I want you to hear that word. And if you have a nail in your house, maybe practice that exercise and be reminded of how much he's done for you and how much he promises to continue to do for you. So that's my word to you during this season. I'm not thankful for this virus. I'm not thankful uh, that people are suffering and, and are sick. I'm not thankful that uh, the economy is having a hard time and that people are literally losing their jobs and losing their livelihoods. I'm not thankful for any of that. But I'm thankful that the unnecessary fluff of our lives perhaps is being stripped away just a little bit where we can peel back the layers and go back to the basics and be reminded of God's love and especially in hard times like this. And so again, while I'm not thankful for this season in that regard, I am thankful for sort of the fringe benefits of getting in touch with people again on the phone in a quality way. We played a three-hour uh, long game of Monopoly the other night via FaceTime. And I felt like they were there, my friends in New Orleans. And it was a really quality time. So what I'm saying to you is God has shown forth his love in mysterious, strange ways through technology and through this odd, peculiar season in which we pray uh, that God would end it soon. So wait no longer. He snuck up on you. He's pouring out his love even now by his word and by his Holy Spirit. I'm going to close now with this collect from morning prayer. So let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, who did stretch out thine arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of thy saving embrace, so clothe us in thy spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know thee to the knowledge and love of thee for the honor of thy name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.